0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Thanks for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast, bringing you philosophy for our times. Here at the IAI, we're committed to taking philosophy out of dusty books and lecture halls and into the heart of public life. If you enjoy this debate and want to carry on the discussion or watch over a thousand more debates and talks on all the latest issues in philosophy, science, politics and arts, visit IAI.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes.
2: Welcome to When Time Stands Still. What we're here to discuss is that we do all, I think, naturally feel that time flows in our life, that we it's flowing past us or we're flowing in it, but there's a sense that one thing follows another and time flows. However... Physicists ever since Einstein have argued that all time, past, present, future, is like space, is like the three dimensions, it's part of a big unchanging block, and there's time is just points in it, so there is no flowing. So is our sense that time flows uh, an illusion that somehow it's conjured up by our consciousness perhaps? Are we deceived when we feel that time's passing, or is it time to say, look, maybe that physicists insistence that time doesn't flow, that it's wrong and we need to move past. So to help us discuss this, we have to my right, live and direct, uh, Lee Smolin, theoretical physicist known for proposing reconciliation between loop quantum gravity and string theory, and he's the author of Time Reborn and a founding member of the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, which in my opinion is a really exciting place. To the left, Michael Duff, Abdus Salam Chair of Theoretical Physics at Imperial College London, and Michael has been one of the pioneers of supergravity, and to his left, Eleanor Knox. Eleanor is a lecturer in philosophy at King's College London. She works on the philosophy of space-time physics, philosophy of uh, the explanation of it, and intertheoretic relations. I'll ask each of our speakers to talk for four minutes on the sort of the overall question, which is: Are we deceived when we feel that time is passing? And then we'll move on from there to a, a more general discussion. Can I ask you first, Michael, whether we are deceived when we all feel that time is somehow flowing and passing?
3: Well, if our senses are to be trusted, we live in a world with three space dimensions and one time. Forward, backward, up, down, left, right. Those are the three space. And as you said, according to Einstein's theory, time is treated as a fourth dimension. In 1919, however, Theodor Kaluza and Oscar Klein proposed that perhaps there's more dimensions than we're familiar with. Maybe there are more spatial dimensions that we're not aware of. Perhaps they're curled up to a very tiny size and we don't see them in our everyday lives. And that idea has been revived recently in modern theories of supergravity, superstrings and m-theory, that perhaps there are more than the three space dimensions we're familiar with. Now, I'd like, if I may, to add another dimension to this debate, to ask, could there be more than one time dimension? because that will impinge on the questions about flow and our psychological experience. And in spite of all the effort devoted to looking at extra space dimensions, relatively little, if you look in the literature, has been devoted to imagining more than one time dimension. And it's not surprising in a way because it's a very confusing idea. I mean, you would need two wristwatches, although maybe you could get the Swiss interested in that. Part of the problem, I think, is the psychological difficulties we have in treating time and space on the same footing. And there's a wonderful quote from H.G. Wells' Time Machine. There is, however, a tendency to draw an unreal distinction between the former three dimensions and the latter, because it happens that our consciousness moves intermittently in one direction, along the latter from the beginning to the end of our lives. So H.G. Wells had, in some sense, anticipated the subject of today's debate. Nevertheless, recently theorists have contemplated theories with more than one time dimension but it turns out that the mathematics constrains how many time dimensions you can have. For example, in superstring theory you have to have tens dimensions in total and the familiar most of the papers you read have nine space and one time. But the mathematics equally allows nine time and one space or even five times and five space. So can we make sense of these theories or are they mathematical nonsense. That's a theme that I would like to return to later in the debate, and it will have a bearing on the main issue, which is the one of flow and the block time. Okay, picture.
2: do you think that it might flow in either of the two possible time dimensions you're in favor of?
3: Well, the whole notion of what flow means is different. Okay, my, okay let, me, well, no, let, let, me let me answer your question briefly. In my view, the block universe and the notion that time is flowing are not contradictory. The block universe is an assembly of instantaneous photographs of how the universe is. So I don't see any contradiction between the flow of time and the four-dimensional picture. Okay.
2: Lee, what do you think? If I come to you next, are we deceived when we feel time passing or is the traditional block universe what we should all get used to? Or are they not a problem for each other, as, as, as Michael seems to be saying?
0: Let me start off by saying emphatically that we are not deceived. We are not deceived when we experience the moment of... Everything that we experience, everything that we perceive happens in a moment, which is one of a succession of moments from the past to the future. And the reasons why I assert this have to do with physics, have to do with opportunities to resolve problems in quantum gravity and foundations of quantum mechanics and particle physics and cosmology. That I'll come to. On this view, which is something like but not identical to what the philosophers call presentism, I would assert that the present is fundamentally real. The past was real and is no longer, and the future is not yet real and is partly open. And I would assert, because of the lack of determinism in quantum physics, that the future is genuinely open, that agency is also not an illusion, we don't deceive ourselves when we believe we have agency and will, and that even novelty that is is real, that is states of affairs may come to exist in the future. Which are not describable on the language we we use presently, having made these assertions which are bold and are deliberately bold, let me make some clarifications. First, the issue is not between real and illusion; it's between emergent and fundamental, things which are emergent like temperature and density are also real. So the issue is not whether the flow of time is real. The question is whether time is fundamental. And that means fundamentally part of the description of the world, no matter how deep or how microscopic or fundamental you get. The second clarification is that what I mean by the present is what some people call thick. The present is not instantaneous. It has a duration. And this is necessary to resolve some puzzles and paradoxes otherwise my good friends on the stage would bring up and the last qualification is that certainly aspects of our experience are constructed in the brain we don't perceive anything in nature directly and unconstructed including time so our experience of time on very small time scales the fact that our different senses are brought to coincide through different pathways is certainly constructed by our brain for our mind But the structure of time over, say, scales of longer than a second, the fact that everything that we perceive is in a moment, which is one of a succession of moments, the fact that we perceive events to cause other events in the future is, I believe, fundamental. And I think a way to talk about it is that time has an activity. The activity of time is bringing into being or into becoming new events out of present events this process which is also called by the philosophers causation of bringing into happening or becoming new events out of fundamental events is the fundamental physical process on which the laws of physics describe and i would assert also that this process of causation or the activity of time or causality is more fundamental than the laws of nature that we write down
2: brilliant thank you Eleanor Time does flow, and it needs to reconcile certain problems in our physical description of the universe. And it's basically, if I've understood you rightly, causation.
1: So maybe I can reel back a little bit, because I think what I want to do is defend something like what's being presented here as the more traditional physics view of time, which is sort of funny because I'm the philosopher on the stage. I, I don't think time flows, if by what you mean flow of time is that there's some metaphysical feature of the universe, some feature of the universe that's completely independent of us. That corresponds to some kind of objective flow that couldn't be represented in a kind of four-dimensional block universe um, setting, in a kind of in what one thinks of a static setting. So I don't think time flows. And there's some very standard reasons that I think are pretty persuasive. So one set comes from physics. So prior to Einstein's discovery of special relativity, our main picture of the world was that of Newtonian physics. And Newtonian physics slices the world into same-time instance. So the world is made up of, you can picture it like the leaves on a book, you can slice it in a particular way, and the four-dimensional world is made up of same-time instances. So if you want to say just one of those instances is real, you're picking out something definite. Special relativity, this is very <coughs> standard fair, tells you that that's not the case. It tells you that simultaneity is rel- relative so to your reference frame. Depending on how you slice, how, uh, how fast you're moving, what your reference frame is, you slice space-time in different ways. So it's not like pages in the book, it's like a block, it's sort of a generally amorphous block, and you can slice it up in many different ways. And that causes obvious problems for the kind of presentist view that lots of philosophers, and I think someone like Lee is is a fan of. It's th- not that Lee is unaware of this, I should sure. say. I'm just trying to give the, there's a backdrop to this debate. And so that causes problems because you just when you say only the present is real, for example, it's just not clear what you're picking out. that's relativistic physics because there's no privileged way to make that distinction. So that's traditionally suggested that contemporary physics forces you to this kind of block universe view. And maybe contemporary physics will change, and maybe we'll get, and this is the kind of thing I think Lee wants to propose, maybe we'll go back to a picture where there is some preferred way to pick out moments. But there's a second set of reasons you might be suspicious of the idea that time flows that don't have a lot to do with the physics. Even if you believed in the Newtonian picture, the one where you could slice the pages up like books, you might be worried about what on earth it meant for time to flow. You might be worried about making sense of the notion of dynamic time. And this, this is going to touch, I think, on, on your ideas about time dimensions, and maybe we can come, come back to that. But you might be really worried that when things flow or they change, they change with respect to time. Time can't flow or change with respect to time. Time is just one second and then the next. But how fast would it flow? Um, one second per second, that's a dimensionless unit. So you might have a lot of worry about the fact that you need another dimension to even make sense of the notion of, of flow or time, so maybe in the second time dimension, to make sense of the notion of one time dimension have being able to change, but then you have the same problem with respect to the second dimension, etc. So those are the really t- sort of traditional philosophical worries that you might have about the flow of time that you might think would be immune to what happens in the development of our our physics. And I find those and kind of extensions of them pretty persuasive.
2: Can I just ask you Eleanor, then is this debate about whether time flows or not closely connected to ideas of determinism? I, I was very interested that Lee threw in almost as a as something that would just be an offhand remark that the future may in some senses be be open. So you're not saying things are uncaused, but it does strike at that very fundamentalist determinist view that everything is already set. I, is that a part of the discussion? Is that Part of what the block time is objecting to, and saying look, it's, it's all laid down already.
1: So, so there is a connection, but it's not a precise connection. I'm going to be an okay. annoying pedantic philosophers. If you believe there's just one block universe, I mean, there's a certain sense in which you might think that facts in the future are already there, and so they're already fixed in some way. not that's not necessarily related to determinism, which I take it as a quality of our physical theories. So determinism is the question of whether specifying the state of a physical theories on kind of one base time slice and then giving you the laws. Tells you what's going to happen elsewhere in the space-time. That question is strictly speaking different from whether facts about the future are fixed. If you're an eternalist, maybe you think that facts about the future are fixed, even in an indeterministic theory. All
2: right, then let's move on to the, the the first of the part of the discussion. I'll come to you, Lee, if you don't mind. Why does time for us appear to flow? Then is it because it does, or could it be that? It doesn't, but we, somehow we're made to be fooled in this way. I know you don't think it is, but why does it seem like it does?
0: First, about simultaneity, yes, of course, I have to accept that if I'm some kind of presentist or believe in that the agency of time is real, I have to confront the arguments that the relativity of simultaneity implies the block universe of Hilary Putnam and other philosophers. And I think I just have to bite the bullet and say that in fundamental physics there will be a preferred simultaneity. And I wouldn't be asserting this if it weren't for a reformulation of general relativity. It's about five years old due to a number of young people and Julian Barber called Shape Dynamics, in which you trade the ability to have relative simultaneity mm-hmm. for relative for relativity of scales or what we call scale invariance in three dimensions. Um, And this development does pick out a preferred simultaneity which goes by the technical name just for those on the stage of constant mean curvature slicing. And the fact that there is an equivalent formulation of general relativity which preserves all the experimental predictions and confirmations of general relativity and special relativity allows me to assert that deep down there may be a fundamental simultaneity. So that's the first point. The second issue about the measure of the relation, um, as a relationalist, which is where I start my, my, my major commitment is to relationalism, and to the principle of the identity of the indiscernible and the principle of sufficient reason. What is relationalism, Lee? Lee? Relationalism is the assertion that, as Leibniz argued, all there is to space and time, there is nothing to space and time apart from events that occur in relationships between them. So when I say that events are primary and the causation or the creation of events is primary, There is no measure of time by which you can say what is the rate of creation of events. To talk about rate, you have to construct a physical clock out of some physical process that that appropriately constructs a series of events that you're willing to rely on for a clock. And then you relate the, the rate of other events to the rate of those events, purely relating physical processes to other physical processes. There's no sense in which there's an underlying Metric of time, which is independent of physical processes. Um, And finally, just to say the idea that there may be more than one time dimension um, is an audacious idea. It's not one I've spent much time contemplating, but I know the mathematics is interesting. There is some interesting mathematics, which makes it an interesting thing to explore, and I look forward to hearing more about it.
2: All right. Michael, can I come to you? In one sense, I can't see how it's difficult to argue with the idea that one thing causes another thing. We have a chain of causality, and that is time. As I think Lee was saying, you don't then need to measure it against some arbitrary ticking of a clock. It's just one thing is causing another in an ongoing sequence, and that is the
3: flow. Yes, that's why I'm not arguing again.
2: But do you then say that that means that time is flowing in that sense. Help me understand how that differs from (coughs) a block universe where things apparently aren't flowing, but... Well,
3: I I think I may have some difficulty with the premise of this debate, because the the key word in Lee's discussion was assert. He (laughs) asserts something or other, and it's a bold assertion by his own admission. It's not a demonstration. So when he says, I assure you that you're not deceived, or when he says the present is real, how would I know if he was wrong? it seems to me a question that cannot be resolved. So it's not a meaningful way to spend our time. Okay, the other point I would make is this phrase block universe seems to carry a lot of baggage with the other speakers that I'm not carrying. For me, it's just Einstein's recognition that, or Minkowski's definition, that space-time is four-dimensional. I don't mean anything more than that. Okay. Perhaps other people it means something more.
2: Lee just wanted to respond to something you'd said. Is that right, mm-hmm. then I'll come back to you.
0: I chose my words carefully, and the test of these ideas is not an argument that we can have at the present time. I agree completely with Michael on that. The test of these ideas is do they suggest and shape a research program for solving the major problems in fundamental physics, such as quantum gravity and the measurement problem of quantum mechanics, or where what shows the laws of nature, which resolves those problems in a way that, one, other approaches cannot, and, two, leads to experimental tests by which the assertions can be tested experimentally. And that's what I and a number of colleagues are engaged in, and I can mention some progress on that a little bit later. But I agree with Michael. That's the reason why I call this an assertion. I'm not claiming to be able to establish these assertions, I'm claiming to have some motivation for them out of the problems in fundamental physics. But the test of them is certainly what science do they lead to, and it's early days, and I don't have strong claims about that.
3: How would asserting the present is real lead to a better research program, or lead to more empirical tests? I don't see how that assertion helps in either of those directions.
1: Can I, can I push that? Yes, please, sort yeah. of, I sort of want to make a similar point from a... So, so look, I'm mean, I, I sh- I'm sure everyone on this stage would agree that ultimately, you know, we'll accept whichever theory comes out with the best empirical results and that's the test, and of course there are two people here who are much more likely to come up with that theory than me, so, so there's no sense in which I would ever want to rule out any of Lee's theorising, which, you know, butch has been brilliant, but there's a real question about whether the philosophical content of the view is doing the kind of work you think it is. So, suppose we discovered that Newtonian mechanics was true. It's not, but, you know, f- it's probably an easier thing for the audience to imagine. Now, I don't think that would make us have a particular view of time. I don't think it would force us to be presentist. There would be a preferred time slicing, and it may well be that our best theory ultimately reasserts a preferred time slicing. but. It wouldn't be a key part of testing that theory that we were actually testing the metaphysical reality of the flow of time. That theory would just come out with a load of predictions like Cheney Mechanics does. And nothing in, in that forces us to, to not think that there's just one big block of stuff. It just happens to be sliced up into instants.
2: Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? And there's no commitment to pay so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level okay maybe that's where we need to go next is we we keep mentioning this block universe can i ask you first um what we mean by the block universe and also there's a lot of baggage that goes with it because for a lot of people the block universe correctly or incorrectly it takes away any notion of free will that nothing you decide has any effect whatever is going to happen it has already happened in the sense that it's already there and you, you're just, your free will is, is an illusion. I don't want to get into free will but can you explain a little bit more about what people think is unpleasant about the block universe and whether it's failed?
1: The block universe is a, is a really misleading term here. I'm try- trying to adopt it for the sake of this debate, but one thing you might mean by the block universe is just our physics can be given a representation in a kind of four-dimensional space-time. And you always do that. I mean, everyone drew distance-time graphs at school. Uh, it'd be awfully surprising if, at least at the macroscopic level, we couldn't write our physics down in that kind of form, right? So, so that's, in a sense, just this. And I, and I think maybe that's part of what Michael means by block universe. I think what it's getting saddled with here is a view that in philosophy is called eternalism which is the view that not just can we represent everything as if it lives in a kind of four-dimensional block, but that's really... Everything in that four-dimensional block is equally real. And there's no bit of that four-dimensional block that we pick out as the present, as being more real than other, than the rest that's somehow sort of moving through the block.
2: And do you defend that?
1: And I would defend that, yes. Wow,
2: really? (laughs) Okay, uh, Michael, do you defend that? Fine, I'm happy with that, Are you? But do you think that as well?
3: Well, I don't think that drawing a four-dimensional... Uh, space-time is saying that we're giving up on causality, or we're giving up on simultaneity, or we're giving up on free will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, none of those things are implied when I write down four-dimensional equations. For me, there's nothing more uh, sinister th- than just writing four coordinates instead of three. Okay, motion. well
2: let me, let me turn to uh, Lee then. You heard what I was asking the others. What, what, what's your view on on this block universe and its its various interpretations
0: well my view is that it's a mathematical representation of, of the content of some laws of nature and that it is physically incorrect and here I want to respond to Michael's challenge he says he doesn't see how you could base a research program around developing and testing the ideas I asserted First, there is a long-standing question of the origin and the explanation of the arrows of time. The fact that so much of phenomenon that we experience and observe is time asymmetric is irreversible. There is a well-known and well-accepted explanation that the laws of nature are really time-symmetric, are really the same going forward and backward in time and don't pick out a direction in time. And the reason why so much of natural phenomena pick out a direction of time has to do with very special initial conditions at the beginning of the universe. There is a contrary view, which has been very well formulated and proposed by Roger Penrose in some papers in the late 70s and 80s, and in some of his books, which is that the reason why these special initial conditions... The problem with asserting that it's all due to special initial conditions is that it begs the question, then you have to explain why are the initial conditions so special. So Roger Penrose asserts the initial conditions are so special because the really truly fundamental laws, perhaps the laws of quantum gravity, are fundamentally irreversible and time asymmetric. So these are two competing hypotheses to explain the ordinary phenomenon of irreversibility of so much of life, of so much of everyday phenomenon, all all going back to the very beginning of the universe, the Big Bang. If
3: I may just have one minute to respond to the, I don't dispute that these are uh, interesting areas of research. Penrose's view versus the reversibility view are the laws of nature evolving in time. These are very interesting, and I encourage Lee and others to follow them. I just don't see how his asserting that the present is real has affected it one iota we can equally well pursue those avenues of research without asserting that the present is real
2: perhaps it's not scientifically i I I suppose i come at it well i just heard 10 minutes of science i don't think it's
1: doing any work here either (laughs) but i think i think it's (laughs) wonderful that philosophical assertions inspire people and they've inspired people from Einstein. but but you can represent pretty much anything he wants to describe can be represented in this sort of four-dimensional, perhaps many more dimensional way, just, just as it can be in a dynamic way. I think there's another thing doing some work in these arguments, I understand mm. it, which is that he thinks that we have direct experiential access, so we have something like direct empirical evidence of the flow of time from our experience, and that's feeding into a theory. Um, and I sort of, I think maybe I can make more sense of that argument than the idea that the form of our physics theories could force us. They think that only the present is real.
2: I take it that we naively all do feel we have a direct experience of time. Successful creatures who have evolved don't usually believe something that's false. Evolution is very good if at it tracking weren't what's true, really if there.
3: <laughs> if it weren't true, how would we tell? Suppose the present weren't real, how would you tell?
2: Well, I, I obviously can't, but my, the evolutionary answer is if you're a creature that's evolved, believe something that's not true it's not really the way the universe is working generally you'll go extinct
1: i mean hang on our belief that that we that there is something like a time dimension mm. and that nature has something like time in it obviously that's nobody here is disputing yeah. that it's the idea that the way that we experience that time dimension and the fact that it's very different from the way that we experience the spatial dimension does that piece of evidence give us reason to think that not only does time play a slightly different role in our physics, but does it have this completely different metaphysical character? Yes, it's Maybe not laid they, they, they out like the
2: other dimensions. Exactly.
1: And that, that's the question here. So it's not that yeah. we'd be completely mistaken about our ideas about time if the eternalist is correct. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just whether this one bit of our experience is really something that's there in the fundamental reality or whether, like many, many aspects of our experience that Lee brought up earlier, um, it's actually some kind of product of the kinds of creatures we are
0: oh, and sure. the way that
1: we interact with the <laughs> yeah, world.
0: Sure. I'm I'm very puzzled, and I think we're me, all puzzled. <laughs> That's the problem. Let me pose to Eleanor a question because I've I've run into this discussion with philosophers in the past. I think physicists, when we mean the block universe, we assume some kind of determinism. Yeah. yeah. The block universe without determinism, to me, is a very wimpy kind of block universe. It it doesn't do. You can say you can construct such a description, but I would throw it back on you. It doesn't do any work without determinism. For example, in particular, Putnam's argument about being able to make a a change in the simultaneity surface, or forgive me for using a technical word, a boost, depends on determinism. If If you don't have a deterministic evolution law, to make to say something technical, to make a boost in a relativistic theory, you need to know the dynamics. And you need to have deterministic dynamics. Otherwise, there's no meaning to in this on the space of degrees of freedom of the theory to describing a boost transformation. Are
2: you in your theory saying that you're taking issue with the kind of determinism that you're saying is a necessary component of the block universe where everything has already happened, it's all laid out? Are you saying that in your theory it's something slightly different, there's a, a different kind of determinism or none?
0: I happily admit in this domain not to have a single theory. I have a number of theories that i'm constructing to address the concerns that i'm raising and inspired by the ideas that i'm raising so actually with respect to determinism i I've, I've been i've studied both sides of it when i study foundations of quantum mechanics i've been interested in ideas where probability is fundamental like the idea i was just discussing yeah. Yeah. i've also spent considerable time trying to formulate non-local hidden variable theories which were deterministic Alternatives to fun to ordinary quantum mechanics to me determinism is an open question. I'm willing to contemplate the, either side of it
2: for, for time to flow, does it matter whether things are deterministic or not? No. Okay. Good.
0: <laughs> good. So,
1: so if he says, because I mean it's it's absolutely right, the philosophers decouple these questions. Yeah. So the questions about the kind of extent of reality and and time flowing are not the same as this question about whether our physics theories are deterministic. Um, and I'm I've been operating with that. So, I don't. I mean, I I think that that you guys are going to tell me whether physics is deterministic because you'll come up with good theories and then we'll look at them and we'll work out and I and and it it might be that our best theory is indeterministic. It might be that it's deterministic. I was thinking of that as as tangential to the debate. I
2: think part of the confusion is that for most people, I think the two are conflated. That when you say time doesn't flow, they think, okay, so nothing I decide makes a difference because whatever's gonna happen next Wednesday is already there. Yep. And you're saying these two things aren't necessarily coupled together, is that right?
1: Yeah, there's lots of ways in which they decouple. One is just that determinism strictly is a feature of, of your best science. It's not necessarily a question about whether the fact about next Wednesday is already there. That's called the openness of the future, and it's right. a different debate.
3: I think this debate has maybe highlighted the difference between physicists and philosophers. <laughs> so that's a
2: that's, a, that's I already mean progress. That's a compliment. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the sad news is that we don't have a lot of time left, so... All I can tell you is that so far we've decided that there is an important difference between philosophers and physicists and that it's all very confusing and that we are confused. Lee's confused, we're confused. Unless any of our panellists have a, a last pearl of wisdom, could I ask you to join me in thanking our very puzzling panellists?
1: Thank you for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast. If you enjoyed this debate and want to carry on the discussion, visit iai.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes.